0: Hi everyone, my name is Gustavo. I'm with the Rainbow Pride Youth Alliance and the Proud to be Free campaign. On the day show, we're gonna be talking with Debbie Martinez, uh, the program manager for the National Forum of Heart Disease and Stroke Prevention. It's gonna be an exciting conversation on public health and liberation. So feel free to join us. It's gonna be an amazing episode.
1: Well, thanks for inviting me to be your first guest.
0: Yeah, thank you, Debbie, for being the first guest on this podcast that is yet to be named. And hopefully by the time I write the intro for this, I have a good filler for it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the No Name podcast. We'll keep it at that.
0: Oh, you think No Name would be like, hey, I would like to use your name as a podcast. You don't need to be on there. I just would like to use your name, brand, and not likeness for podcasts about queer and trans medical inequality. Okay. I
1: think they'd be down.
0: Debbie. Debbie, I want you to introduce yourself.
1: Sorry. Yeah, of course. Well, again, thank you for inviting me. It's a no-name. Um, we could stylize it a little bit differently, <laughs> so it's not trademarked. Um, my name is Debbie Martinez. I am a program manager with the National Forum for Heart Disease and Stroke Prevention, which it's a mouthful, so we just usually go by the National Forum or the forum. My pronouns are she, her, they, them, so all of the above usually is fine.
0: Thank you. All right, and what has been your comfort food during this hellscape?
1: Oof, that one's really hard. I've been eating a lot more chips than I usually do. That's for sure.
0: But what's your favorite kind? I was just nibbling on Pringles right before we started recording.
1: Ooh, what flavor?
0: It was original. It was like really basic. As like I was a <laughs> kid who hated Pringles as a kid because I was like, this texture is not
1: great.
0: I was what? like. What. Yes, I was like the strange child because I wanted ruffles and I Uh wanted Lay's with sour cream because we were, I guess like, I think it's a Sinaloa thing. I think it's a Sinaloa thing with the cream. I feel like.
1: I, well, we eat chips with sour cream, but not Lay's. I would do Doritos or like the the cheddar ruffles.
0: Isn't it like a regional Mexico thing? Because I don't. I,
1: I think it's a regional, like it's a general Mexico thing, but regionally I think will depend on what you dip with what. Because within my group of friends and my family, we definitely all did um, Doritos. And sometimes you put like the hot sauce in the sour cream.
0: Oh, yes. That's definitely a thing.
1: Or chips with lemon and chili. Did you do that? I still do that.
0: Okay, yes, but not to the extent that my sister and my dad did. Basically, it was more like lemon juice and salt than it was actual starch. So it was kind of like a soup-ish kind of concoction for them.
1: Sometimes it gets like that because limes have been getting shittier and shittier over the years. Can we curse on your podcast?
0: Yes, we can curse. Yes. We can okay, curse. cool. You're operating in the blue here.
1: <laughs> awesome. Just like you had to pass that by because sometimes, you know.
0: <laughs> no, uh, like, this is a swearing safe space and stuff. Uh, swearing yeah. positive. Swearing positive. And I want to encourage authenticity and sometimes shit's fucked up and you need to say shit's fucked up so yeah okay, uh, cool. I, okay so but did your family do hot dogs uh lemon and salt raw hot dogs no okay so i think my family is one of the rare families that did basically the hot dog cocktail and stuff i don't know it's a good it's it was definitely a thing that i think stands apart in terms of my comfort food growing up
1: yeah but also i don't really like hot dog weenies I think yeah, they're you know, gross.
0: I remember, like, my dad had like this weird habit of just eating raw hot dogs out of out of the packet. Like, that Is
1: that is like, does that not ruin your stomach? <laughs> I mean, like,
0: his stomach has been okay. I think definitely growing up in my household, my palate skews lemon. If your comfort food is like raw hot dogs, salted tapatio, and like lemons, you you're you're okay. You're okay. I'm not sure. That's restaurant. true.
1: I have like a healthy stomach lining from like all the lemon and Valentina I eat as a kid.
0: Oh man, I feel like that just gives you like superpowers, but as well as a base level for spiciness. I've never met someone who said like tapatio is hot.
1: Yeah, all the time.
0: Really? I feel like you only meet them once and occasionally and stuff. Yeah,
1: know. no, in college, I met a lot of people who didn't eat spicy.
0: It says head folks really embrace hot sauce and mm-hmm. really kind of push hot sauce into the forefront in like cultural consciousness because that's what happens. And I do, I think habaneros became much more prevalent. Ghost peppers became much more prevalent. I think the standard baseline is habanero. I remember growing up as a kid, I think habaneros were seen as a kind of like grim reaper of sorts of like, okay, this is the hottest level. This is, well.
1: Yeah, but now it's like pretty standard. Like if you want something good that's spicy, that's what you get
0: yeah habanero is like the baseline which is very strange i feel like habaneros they like become the baseline i don't want to spice shame people but i think tapatio is kind of not spicy but just kind of like oh it's kind of like pepper pepper sauce
1: yeah well if you have a lot of tapatio at once it definitely can get spicy does think, that make sense yeah like no, if you eat a shit ton of it you're like oh my mouth's on fire
0: your mouth is on fire uh um, i made a mistake. I feel like there's definitely like a spice thing that happens with different foods. Like I feel hot Cheetos is like this where basically you can just have a lot of them and then you feel like your body is made of great mistake and you're just going to have this like tingy spice going
1: on. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I want to go on more detail in terms of like the Serrano spice versus the Jalapeno spice.
1: I like them both together. When I make um, Salsa Verde, I do uh, Serrano and I do Jalapeno.
0: Oh, I think for me, the Serrano is like the cool cousin that has their shit together. And jalapeno is like the approachable, you are jalapeno. This kind of strange anthropomorphizing of peppers. Serrano has always been like, yeah, they're the cool one. They're cool. Hopefully I can invite them over to my party and they come over.
1: You think so? I, you know, and I find jalapeno to have like the nice, like accentuated flavor Mm -hmm. and they complement each other so well.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Okay, right, so, oh, actually, I need to introduce myself. i It's like 10 minutes in, I need to introduce myself. So my name is Gustavo Hurtado. I'm with the Pride to be Free Project. I use mixed pronouns, he, him, they, them, uh, she, hers. And let's see, my comfort food is a black bean burger with egg and sesame bun or Hawaiian roll bun. Oh. I can only have like two of them at the time and... Probably accounts for maybe like 5% of my weight gain under quarantine. Because, like, yeah, yeah, we, we have to accept the conditions we live in. For sure. Yeah. So, Debbie, what gives you hope?
1: What
0: gi- <laughs> <laughs> we went from food to what gives you
1: hope? <laughs> um, God, I don't know that anything gives me hope, except the idea that hope should exist in and it of itself. Like, there has to be something else to live for. I just don't know what that is.
0: Mm, mm. So
1: the idea of hope gives me hope.
0: The idea of hope gives you hope. Okay. Um, all right. Why do you feel like the idea of hope gives you hope?
1: Because nothing else that really should give us hope has. There's, there's very little to have hope in. Like, I think about my nieces and nephews, right? They, in and of themselves, are this idea of innocence and they're just the sweetest things ever but then i don't have any hope because like climate change is real and they're inheriting like the worst planet ever so at the same time like things that should give me hope i feel like in the end i find a way to not find hope because so many things feel doomed
0: yeah i mean like i asked that because i've been thinking like how to Think about the future and like think about like something past like a month from now okay so we're recording this on september 25th 2020 and we're about like what six ish weeks away from an election yeah <laughs> um just seems very dark and sad and depressing and not a lot of great outcomes regardless of what happens
1: mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I follow, like, these um, communist, like, dank memes on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And one of them posted something about how all of the presidents that, like, all of the wars that we have had during each different presidency, and surprisingly for, like, Trump, it doesn't have any wars. (laughs) So, like, all of these people are like, how do we feel about this meme? And everyone's just, like, to a certain extent, like, he has been so terrible for domestic policy. But in foreign policy, he gets bored, right? Like, nothing holds his attention. He's continued some of the wars we're already engaged in. Like, we know what's going on in Syria and so forth. But in many ways, he didn't, you know, like, rage this war in Iraq. You know, he isn't the cause of ISIS. Like, there's all these things that we have that happen under, like, Republican and Democratic presidencies. Whereas, yeah, Trump's lodging a uh, Cold War (laughs) with China. Which will, in and it of itself it's like really hard to quantify the the blood loss and the life loss because of a cold war like we would with a hot war. but um it's just the idea that everyone has all of these different pros and cons depending on the way you want to look at it, but none of them get us towards like equity and justice.
0: as someone who's like I'm gonna be ashamed to say like I was kind of like this idealistic kind of liberal like I love the West Wing when I was in high school I lo- <laughs> School. cool it's just so embarrassing to admit into a <laughs> phone that's recording in 2020 but i used to love that shit and i was like oh like i think like i had like uh this idea that like i think like the american project is like something that could be redeemable and stuff uh-huh, uh-huh. um um I, I think obviously i think right now i think for myself um like as a person like living in 2020 and kind of like um, being radicalized and having conversations and kind of growing as a person, uh, I understand kind of like the idea, of, the need to kind of think and hope for things that aren't currently existing and kind of working towards like portals and like existences and creations, relationships with one another that don't exist right now. That being said, I feel we were really close at war a couple times the past few years. I feel like like this year it was like I think we were like I, we were like. I Felt like we were like a week away from like going to a fully war with Iraq, I- like Iran, and yeah. I was like, "Oh fuck, this is this is this is great, this is great." <laughs> this is
1: and so then fun. it doesn't happen. There's this one headline from uh, Business Insider that one of my friends sent me about Trump and Venezuela that said Trump decides to not go to war with Venezuela because he and a quote was very complicated and I got bored. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> I- <laughs>
0: It is very strange where it's, like, I, I think, like, like the reins of, like, like this particular form of fascism is, like, I, I, I cannot deal, I don't want to do the work of being even, like, a semi-competent fascist in, char- in charge of a large military infrastructure. I would rather kind of be in Fox News going on Twitter wars and then, like, having my cabinet... Uh, basically terrorize um, black and brown queer and trans folks inside the borders and preventing them from ed- any access to resources outside the borders yeah so that's really awful times <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. yeah his domestic policy sucks yeah
0: yeah, yeah. Now, okay what would you say is like the been like the biggest? a uh, mistake in your lifetime like not personal but like mistake politically and stuff like the biggest kind of like okay this is this is like something we are gonna have to reckon with for generations
1: Ooh, where to start yeah I know. but you're saying within my generation like within my lifetime
0: yeah within your lifetime you're yeah. you're slightly older and i'm giving away birthdays but you're slightly older
1: okay like by like what like a year or two i'm 90 30 this year
0: 30. oh my god I I'm yeah. turning 29 in like a few months yeah
1: okay okay um let me see i think one of the most detrimental things that happened to us because it was a wolf in sheep's clothing um is the election of barack obama because up until then, it was a very clear understanding of what, like, it meant to be Republican and Democrat. Although, like, you, I mean, you can say this about um, Bill Clinton, too, right? With the crime bill and everything that he did under, you know, don't, don't ask, don't tell. Or th- his was the Defense of Marriage Act, right? Yeah. But Obama really sold youth and, like, young people. He really got us out to vote. And he got out those who would become extremely radicalized um to get out to vote and to believe you know and, and for many years and like his legacy like he allowed for this generation of like neoliberalism to really succeed and like move into our politics and I don't know it's just everything that I really hate happened under his administration because because it, it, you got sold on a lot it's like one of those things where it's like it, it's to be backstabbed versus stabbed in the front, and I feel like he really stabbed us in the back.
0: Yeah, there's like a, a deflation that definitely happens under the Obama administration, where you think that you've elected and you kind of like are. It's it's kind of like the like everyone's first like reform is possible, like the police are like reformable. I think that, but that for a generation, it's like, oh no, you're like the position of the presidency is the violent one. And you're basically kind of uh, choosing between a very narrow political system uh, that is going to want to replicate its power. Um, And very Mm -hmm. few people are like going to get to the position and radically change it and fundamentally morph it in a way that doesn't kind of uh, like reinforce its power or is a way for folks to just get rich like which is a very cynical way to put it but i think for my calculus for like uh like president obama has been like oh yeah he wants he wants to be rich he wants to be rich like he wanted like he made decisions basically to kind of like fulfill neoliberal policy in order to like be rich
1: exactly Uh, and that's he made it mainstream he made it mainstream and acceptable
0: Yes, yes. I, I, I was thinking Clinton earlier and stuff, uh, but I I think we had a whole conversation about like kind of like if George Bush gets elected for like the second time, does the crime bill happen? I don't know. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> and,
1: yeah, no, there's like so many different things, right? Like if Bill Clinton didn't happen, we wouldn't have the um, school to prison pipeline, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, no, I think like, um, like that is... Yeah, I think, like, there is, like, a series of, like, issues in which, like, we feel like, uh, I don't know, as, like, someone who grew up in the IE, I think, like, there is always kind of, like, this idea and presentation of California in and of itself as, like, this very progressive space.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. And, like, and then when you go into, like, kind of, like, the IE, it is a very, it's, like, we grew up, like, it was much more conservative growing up. It still very much is. And it, there's always kind of like the corners turning, like mm-hmm. being so, us constantly in terms of like, oh, things will get better in terms of like, oh, we'll just elect this person, things will get better. Um, we'll we'll recall Gray Davis. We'll elect Arnold Schwarzenegger. We'll. <laughs> Um, I'll elect Jerry Brown we'll elect Gavin Newsom locally he'll be like oh yeah we'll just have more warehouses come in and, and like things will get better communities will grow um, but there's we, I think we've seen like a vast deterioration in terms of like I don't know like just our, our spaces and like the way we've constructed spaces has been very limited and not like not in a way you, you think like when you think of California
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And all the people who are tasked to do anything about it, whether they be at the state level, county level, city level, or even our local leaders have no idea of how to really create change or what systems change means like i think everyone gets wrapped up in what the new buzzwords are and they're around health equity um environmental racism like all of these things that people have very act very little knowledge within these spaces and they're the ones tasked with doing the actual work
0: yeah no yeah i think there's definitely a thing that you grow up in seeing that like a lot of the politics and a lot of the, like the things that are kind of sold and kind of positioned are a means to an end for folks to make money. And um, I I think we I think we talked about this like, like offline before and stuff. I think like there are like you could have a career in labor and jobs that are full dignified, but it does feel like when we go to like electoral politics and kind of like when we feel like political parties are solutions that essentially Folks kind of use it for their own ends, usually in terms of like I'm going to use this to kind of leverage my further my career or kind of make money in the back end.
1: Oh yes, definitely. I I think that IE is a perfect example of what I say that I feared most in what happened with Obama's administration. It's the rise of neoliberal um, policies that still disenfranchise minorities, still disenfranchise those who are most susceptible and you know, suffer from terrible policymaking that are the poorest, um, the most unhealthy, the ones who breathe the, the worst of the air. And we have all of our the policymakers here in the IE who will literally jump on whatever bandwagon is going to salvage their career, get it further, and will criticize you for criticizing them for not being much more vocal about systems change. It's, it's like the same thing we see. It's um, people talking about oh, this system is corrupt, it needs to be rebuilt, it's completely broken, but then say, go out and vote. Like that is not, a, that's not an actual acknowledgement that the system's broken. That's just them adopting this like buzzword or this like key phrase, but not really understanding what systems change mean if they're telling you to buy into the system. Like, I don't think any of these people understand the irony in it.
0: Like, I think the idea of like systems, uh, when we have, we create a system is like messy because people are messy. Mm-hmm. Um, but however but like you but for that reason it kind of tends to revert to kind of the, the framework of like its creation so when we think mm-hmm. about it, it was yeah com- it, it is it, it, it's creation its parameters are kind of really focused on kind of violence like for public policy oftentimes like we think about violence as a way to solve like any issues like policing i think like that, that's what makes it kind of comp like like complicated or like hard to kind of get people to kind of buy into change and stuff because a lot of what's been fed to them and kind of what the system is kind of tells you is possible is so narrow and focused on things like winning elections, like implementing laws with punitive measures, enforcement, and not really kind of giving material goods to people. Like the IE, like large portions of the country, like California itself is like very hesitant to kind of like just materially give people like things like money, health insurance, and care. Mm -hmm. But law law enforcement gets like electric shields uh, and um, uh, UV uh, Mustangs, but folks can't have some like, I don't know, like money for like mental health care or actually get shelter.
1: Yeah, Yeah, definitely. And it's really funny because everyone shits on California, right? Like you said earlier. That we're supposed to be this very progressive, liberal state, like get out of here because we're so full of like homeless people and like gays, right? But it's like uh, we're pretty conservative, and yeah, there's like pockets of queer people here and there, but we're one largely conservative, um, and most of our taxes go to pay things that don't actually help the people.
0: Yeah, uh, like what, like what has been your like what, like where do our taxes go, Debbie?
1: Where do our taxes go? I mean, our local taxes, they go predominantly to our police department.
0: Okay, police department. And, like, uh, I think, like, what, like, 60% of San Bernardino's budget goes directly to, like, the sheriffs and law enforcement. And Exactly. So uh, that's really fun. Um, I, I think um, by fun, I mean completely awful. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Now, I think, like, I mean, what does, like, system change look for you? Like, what do you feel like if, like, someone was, like, earnest, like, Like, I think, like, that is what I think about quite a bit. Like, what does, like, system change look like? Like, what does, like, health equity look like?
1: What does health equity look like? Health equity, equity, buzzword. Yeah, so. How do we fix
0: the shit that is broken and, like, that's not broken. That's intentionally marginalized and meant to kept, like, wealth and power in, like, very small pockets. How do we actually give folks, like, resources and, like, dignity?
1: Dignity. Yeah. I mean, it's not a solution that we can develop like one answer and it's going to solve all of our problems. I think solutions change definitely is like a 12 step process probably. Um, and it requires a lot of people coming together to determine what's best for ourselves collectively. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's, it's mostly that it's a lot of collective power, uh, looking at it from like a very public healthy and like scientific perspective. Um, I would say we have to look at social determinants of health. So we, we need to stop thinking about what like the societal norms of what health actually looks like. As a person who suffers from autoimmune disorders, I will never reach optimal health, right? But I can tell you what health's going to look like for me. It, you know what? It, it's a quality of life for me. It's going to be being able to get out of bed most days without having lots of chronic pain. Um, and that for me is healthy, right? If You know, for me, that's what I would deem it. And that's going to look like different for everyone else. But I think we can all agree that there's things that people need to live a dignified life to live a healthy life. And that being like food, shelter, transportation, income, right. Um, Access to resources such as healthcare, mental health services, childcare, education. Mm -hmm. And I think the last thing on there that always gets weaved in here is labor and work. Like, One of my favorite memes is that um, I don't dream of a career because I don't dream of labor. Like, I don't have a dream job. And that's super true. I, I don't think we need to think of that as one of the predominant factors of us being able to achieve happiness and health. Like, I think there is us being able to provide community support to each other that you could label as, like, work, right? I think that a community that supports each other, whether it be farming, community gardens, being able to provide food, yeah, you can look at it as labor, but at the same time, it's also just collaborative thinking and group work. Um, That's my, like, hippy-dippy view on, like, what a society can look like. I also don't believe in, like, you know, control. I'm not looking at some, like, Bolshevik revolution where we get out, you know, these uh, secret police and start murdering everyone who doesn't have similar beliefs at us. I'm not trying to completely convert all Republicans and even, you know, neoliberal moderate Democrats. I think that it has to be a democratic process about how do we determine what's best for us as a society, but I think in that determination doesn't mean that people get to decide whether people get the most basic of necessities. Those are just um, completely inherent and ingrained and things we should be working towards. Like, I don't give a rat's ass. People shouldn't vote on this. And so that's that's the system that needs a change, is that what we actually do vote on needs a change, and what we do provide to live a dignified life needs a change. I think we needed. to... Completely do an upheaval of societal norms of our societal morality. Like what that looks like because I mean what? uh, Homosexuality used to look used to be characterized within the DSM-5 as a um, Quote-unquote like mental health or mental illness, right? Yeah, We both Not true two years ago. Yeah, exactly And so like look where we've gone to a society so like it's making me think about your earlier question what gives you hope and I, I think what you said actually makes a lot of sense is the fact that things can change. Mm -hmm. We get so caught up in things being so bleak, but if we actually look at how things have changed, they do get a little bit progressively better. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's not to deny that the systems find a new way to belittle and to enslave folks, especially um, black folks, as we see how they're being targeted in new ways. We... Unfortunately, society will always find a new way to ensure that they're kept at the bottom, that they're kept from accessing resources that everyone else should and racism is alive and well. And that is like where these two like conflicting ideas come together where I'm like, yes, I have hope, but I also see how people are fighting so strongly to keep our hope down.
0: Yeah, no, I think, like, the thing about 2020 is that there is a lot of discussion about, like, what futures look like and what, like, spaces look like, which is, like, helpful. I think the space for having conversations, like, things like abolition, for example, mm-hmm. and kind of, like, how do you, like, really untangle, like, systemic issues when we're talking about, I don't dream about labor. I'm, I, my, me, I thought was like the fact that that is like so codified in our education system, like is mm-hmm. literally like the second question you have is like, okay, small five-year-olds, what do you want to do for your career in labor? And I think oftentimes, <laughs> I think we live in a like a time when there's rapid change and like, there's not really like a path of what 200 years looks like. There's no, there's no like, like master plan of what like society looks like in two hundred years from now. Outside of Elon Musk, who wants to like live on like Mars and be like a robot king. I think the fundamental thing about what we need to kind of reconcile is like, there's like things, like cops are inherently a racist institution. America is an inherently racist project. It's also ableist and sexist and hasn't reconciled with the fact that like we are on stolen land. And it is a a project that really has a lot of unsettling that needs to be happening, like decolonization, and that is, Mm -hmm. and that is like that is something that needs more people to get involved in, and that is like, Mm -hmm. I know that is for like folks on the ground, folks doing the work, kind of like a frustrating thing, Mm -hmm. kind of like a thing. we want things to happen in a certain speed, we want things to happen in a certain speed, and I think like that's like that's like that like that like sense of urgency is needed and like okay. that sense of urgency is like valid and people are suffering and people are going through pain and like i think mm-hmm. like the terms in which people like seek their liberation can't be like quarterbacked like by like uh individuals about like okay like this is this is when li- i get my liberation when you tell me like like this is okay mm-hmm. i think like when we're in spaces and we're trying to think of like, how do we unfuck up the society? It's like um, black folks, black women, black trans women, um, black uh, women uh, with disabilities, gender non-binary folks, folks like who are, suffer most from like the system, like need to have platforms to articulate their demands. Going back to what you're saying like, some things aren't really kind of up for a vote and like those things should be just happening probably or not organically or getting funding outside of like oh let me let's have like this long conversation about board meetings like you should probably just be giving money and resources directly to folks that are like most vulnerable
1: yeah definitely like especially not having conversations about groups that have nothing to do with us or don't we don't understand their struggle like I I see this right when we think of black indigenous um folks especially those are queer and trans i mean we have all these conversations on what's best for them without letting them be brought to the table without them being represented and that is like i think it needs to start there right yeah we can't be the ones to determine what's best for them and what's necessary for them we need to equip them with whatever is essential and necessary for them to um to achieve their happiness, their health. Like when we think about li- um, liberation for all, it starts with liberating them first and giving them the vehicles to, uh, to thrive.
0: Yeah, I think what you said something about kind of not being in control and that's good parameter to set. I think I have not heard this amongst anyone in our generation, uh, but I know like these strange reports coming out from folks that were captured by the NYPD at the beginning of the uprisings in June Mm-hmm. They were asking them, like who was the leader of antifa, <laughs> and
1: oh, yeah, I remember that, yeah,
0: that feels like an interesting development because I think we are like we're of a generation and we 're kind of like uh, of a community that kind of understands that we out monopolize power in one pe- one person, shit goes south really fast. I feel like've like we 've like, we've seen enough of history and we've seen enough of like uh, toxic nonprofits, toxic organizers, just toxic like uh, like elected leaders. That if you dump all your money, resources, and time into one person, then that basket gets to rot.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. Collective power. That's why I advocate for it. Non-hierarchical structures. I think it's so necessary for us to succeed. Yeah.
0: I, it's, it's very interesting. How do you like reach people who are like, or how do you have conversations with people who are like, I want warehouses, I want... I would like to have a jail in my community. I would like to have cigarette shops in my community. I want jobs to exist in my town.
1: Okay. So are you saying that those things are existing solely because they provide jobs? Or like or well, like, what kind of individual are you, are you thinking in your hypothetical situation?
0: A, like, let, let me like rephrase it. Okay. So a lot of politicians will make the argument that they support things like warehouses, tobacco shops, and uh, jails because they provide good paying jobs in their community and they don't want to uh, what's the neoliberal argument that they don't want to tie down capital and people making money Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. well one thing that we know is warehouses don't actually provide that much revenue for the city right because it's it's not like an operating business that has these sales taxes so already there, I would, I would just use like the same capitalist approach. I was like, yeah, you could have this warehouse or you could have like these grocery stores that would be providing a service to the people, right? It would be um, eliminating, you know, eliminating or decreasing food deserts in this region. You'd also be providing X, Y, and Z number of jobs. And they'd be like, at least, you know, you can find a unionized grocery store, right? So you would like have all of these things. So you would attack their talking points, you know, speak their language.
0: So basically you kind of have to still kind of adopt kind of like I have to make a persuasive argument that's going to reach you and like, okay, you care about money. Like I can tell you, like you can make, you can have money. You just can't have money in a way that's like super simple and easy because like that's, that's like, that is a way that oftentimes it's like marketed like, Hey, we will just pop a warehouse. We will, we will pave the roads. We will pay for the infrastructure around the prison we will just set up our cigarette shop. Don't have to do much. We'll pay our taxes and we'll be out of your hair and stuff. But if you're trying to restructure and have conversations about unionized labor and have places that actually kind of give worth outside of immediate numbers you can throw out like a spreadsheet or put it on like a campaign slogan. Basically you're trying to like you speak their language, but also kind of give them options that make sense for the community that aren't really presented because the like what's presented is always kind of the easy option
1: mm-hmm. but that also puts it on the fact that for this situation to exist you have to assume that the person you're communicating with is actually going to one reason with logic and to be movable on the situation and three thinks that they're doing whatever they're doing for the greater good
0: yeah. No, yeah. There's definitely, I guess you've also been on calls where like folks are like, I think of my city first. That's like what's tattooed onto my like wrist. Like I will do what's good for my community above all else.
1: Yeah. Like obviously it's like being in a toxic or abusive relationship. You don't convince your friend, for example, to have a conversation to make them change, right? You can't change your abusive partner. You leave them. And you, so yeah, we should abandon these politicians. We should abandon these leaders. Like I am first and foremost, the person who doesn't understand when folks are like the pragmatic approach because they hide behind pragmatism to, to say that we can't dream big, nor can we achieve big. Um, I think that's false. I do think that there are certain instances where you need to take the baby steps to reach something. But I think what people prescribe as pragmatic isn't actually that. That's just them hiding behind this like, like, band aid of a solution to not give people what they actually want, to just lie to them. It's, it's just gaslighting. Like, pragmatism is just gaslighting here.
0: Mm. If you, you don't have to go into like specific details, but do you have an example of like someone who's just like on a policy level just kind of gaslit you? Or like, do you have an example from like, like recent history?
1: Yeah, actually. So I live in Harupa Valley um, where my parents lived here. And so my high school um, was going to get a truck stop very close to it. The pilot truck stop that's right off of the 60 freeway. I don't know if you've seen it at all. It's like when you're going to pass Van and It's like a huge eyesore. And if anyone knows anything about Herpa Valley, like we're one of the most recent incorporated cities in California, which I think like as of 2014, we became our own city. Um, since then we had always been, or before then, we had always been um, an unincorporated part of Riverside. And so everything we've gone in this city, it's, you know, we're known for being really like rancheros. Like people have huge um, ranchos out here. There's like lots of horses, very equestrian, but like Latino equestrian. It's not like Norco or Corona by any means. <laughs> and so it, we don't have that much, many businesses. We've done very little to be able to build up because of Eastville growing. And as a city, they've taken a lot that should have been for Rupa Valley, for example, the Costco. And so whatever we do get, our terrible city council members vote for the things that just, they have no vision for the city. They don't have a vision for the community. I mean, it's not like we have a huge voter turnout rate anyways. I think these elected officials probably get voted in with like a little over a thousand, maybe 2000 votes, which is nothing.
0: So like these people are like elected with like less votes than my student body president at my high school got.
1: Probably right, and there are people from the community who have lived here. There, at this point, there's um, some folks of color that serve on city council, so it's not all white. And they voted in favor for this truck stop. Um, There was a local community organization that was trying to do, loosely, some some organizing. Unfortunately, they I think um, got late into the game and didn't necessarily effectively organize any community members to to be super vocal. Um, I was one of the people who they reached out to and went to present to the school board first. So we asked the school board to support a resolution in favor of or against the um, the truck stop and that passed and so we went then to city council and said like look uh more trucks especially near students isn't a good thing Um, we already have so much um, with air pollution in this area we have high rates of asthma um slow lung growth uh, which is me actually i grew up here and i am asthmatic since i was very young um And just like the types of businesses it brings in, right? It was going to bring in a Cinnabon. It was going to bring in, or it did because it passed, uh, also a Wendy's. And so it's, again, it's, it's one, if you're looking at it from a completely like capitalist perspective, it's hideous. It's a fucking eyesore. It's not bringing in good businesses. And it's just a freaking truck stop. It's like, it's horrendous. If you're really thinking about our city. And some of these people claim that their vision is to see Harupa Valley be one of the most amazing cities in California, which it, I called it the armpit of Riverside. <laughs> like, and um, there were just so many reasons, whether on health or economic ends, that this didn't make sense, right? And I said this to them. I provided them with stats. And they said that the community, at least I wasn't the only one who spoke, but that we are coming to them with emotions. And I was like, did no one hear me go off about the statistics about poor air quality and the chronic diseases that inflict the community here? They didn't, right? And so they just were gonna do what they were gonna do. So I think many of them, it doesn't matter what they say they believe in, you just need to vote them out. And this is the only time I'll actually think be like very for voting. I think this is the very few instances is that we can, we have actually much more power to control our, um, our, our elected officials. I mean, there's no electoral college here, right? (laughs) Who you vote for gets elected. Mm -hmm. And so we have a lot more control over this process. And so it's really important to get involved at your local level.
0: Have you ever like I never remember I when I first did my first public comment or like was talking to like a city council person, like there's like an intimidation. I personally felt like, oh, this is kind of like uh I know I need to speak, but there's this weird nerves because like there's a sense of authority. But then you realize they're just kind of people who got elected and this is kind of their job and it's your right to yell at them for two minutes as well as give them facts of why they're messing up.
1: Yeah but unless you're going to get like a i don't know hundreds of people to turn out they're not going to change their mind by like five people giving public comment
0: yeah i know i think like that's like like i like this is the most wild thing i think like there is like this kind of um, i think there is definitely a a need to vote like really bad actors out it what i find really funny is people will draw borders around their city they're really tight like they will like We only want to listen to people who are, can vote us out. And they will basically kind of ignore voices from like individuals who are living in the community, the city next to them. You have like these big warehouses that are going to affect the entire area. Say that you have these big uh, prison systems that are going to affect the entire area. Say that there's like ordinances that are going to affect this entire area. Folks tend to really kind of try to narrow down and discredit voices from other People that don't directly live in the community, okay. so you'll get a turnout of like maybe like fifty people against a warehouse or for like a tobacco retail license. Um, but if they're not from say like San, D- San Bernardino proper, but if they're from Colton and Rialto and uh, herba Valley, they're like, oh yeah, this, this this is an outside influence. This is an outside like. There's like a weird like I think um, like. I feel the word is colloquialism, but there definitely is like this kind of like very like particular sense of like political power that folks kind of really kind of cling to when they're pushed in directions that they don't want to go into politically.
1: Yeah, no, definitely, and it like. <sighs> I think now too, the the people who are the antagonists towards these elected politicians, they probably have like a name for themselves. So they know exactly who's organizing and exactly who's like key players in all of this. And I sometimes feel like our elected officials get in direct conflict with a lot of community organizers that are considered the outsiders and the influencers trying to move things. But to a certain extent, like, everyone's committing, like, errors here and there because no one's actually looking at solutions. It's just a matter of, like, waging wars against each other without actually having the community in mind. At least that's how I see it. Like, we, for example, talking about, like, environmental racism in these warehouses, like, you have a lot of people organizing in the IE against warehouses, but I don't think any of them really understand the root causes of it right like no one actually does anything to talk about consumerism and what's the root cause of why we have so many warehouses in a region like you're, you're at that point you're it's just nimbyism right not in my backyard i don't want the warehouse here so we're but the, but we're not advocating for things that will actually lead us to decreased warehouses
0: i think there's still the third rail to kind of talk about consumerism and not sound naive which is very frustrating I think, for example, I think when we talk about kind of why LGBTQ folks have a higher rate of smoking, the reason why there's a large consumption rate amongst community and LGBTQ folks is the fact that we live in a system that pushes out queer and trans folks from their families constantly, like is like a structure. And Mm of course, instead of like mental health, community support, long-term housing is like, hey, smoking, cool. Let me self-medicate. Let me consume my way out of it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, anytime we talk about consumption and how consumption kind of plays as this society's kind of catch-all for everything, we're like, okay, you're too far. This is not helpful at all. This is not the, how the world works. You kind of approach with this almost kind of conditioned cynicism mm-hmm. uh, when you're talking about consumerism as a very big issue that impacts uh, communities in terms of collective health and individual health.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Um on that end, I was like reading some stuff about consumption and, and cigarette smoking of, amongst LGBT folks. And it's a lot of it is like why, like, so the tagline was like, is smoking queer? <laughs> <laughs> because, because, and I was just like, oh, like this piques my interest. Like, okay. Like, so I, I continue reading along this article. And a lot of it is, is the fact that, and this is based solely in California. And so what we're just talking about is saying that in California, we're a relatively healthy uh, state, right? So we actually have like lower rates of tobacco use. However, that looks so differently in communities of color, um, low-income communities, especially the LGBT uh, community. And it's like, why is that? Like, why are there such high rates among um, queer folks? And it's because it looks like a a public health um, messaging and the way it stigmatizes consumerism, over co- consumption and cigarette smoking, it's that it's like unhealthy, it's like deviant behavior, it's dirty, it's all these things that at some point in time as a queer person you've been called, right? We live outside of a heterosexual normative society and we're perceived as like perverse, deviants, all of these things, right? So when you have these, like, very sterile public health communications about, like, be healthy, be fit, be part of this, like, quote-unquote nuclear family, sort of, like, mumbo-jumbo, like, no wonder just smoking seems attractive to a lot of us, right? Because it's it's that messaging that says, um, if you smoke, you are unhealthy, thus you're deemed less acceptable. And so you are a smoker, you are a trans person, you are all these things, you're already rejected by society. So why bother giving it up, right? It's a coping mechanism. I'm already disenfranchised. I'm already going through X, Y, and Z. Z, I'm homeless, I'm all these things. So like, why not give into it? Yeah. And so it's just a collection of interviews, I think it was like over 200 interviews that they analyze, and it all gets down at the same message of like, all of your propaganda, why I shouldn't smoke, essentially makes me want to smoke because I feel shamed you already shame me for who I am and you're shaming me more because of these coping mechanisms that I have. So your logic will not work on me.
0: Yeah, no, that's like so interesting. That's so interesting. Well, it's also the same way kind of how disability is queer. Anytime you don't fit the ableist kind of mold, be able to kind of basically be the most ideal version that the society is selling you, mm-hmm. there is almost kind of like Might as well. And like the tobacco companies have been really good at being able to really kind of lean into that. Tobacco companies, I think, have been weirdly the most kind of opening in terms of LGBTQ, like marketing, acceptance, representation. Yep. Don't be be ashamed of who you are and stuff. If you're smoking marble reds, you're 100% living your authentic life. You're being authentic and you're being who you are and stuff. A lot of uh, health messaging we get is you're flawed, but you can fix it if you do these things without any support whatsoever. What was the first time you saw smoking? It Was like, okay, this is this is kind of cool.
1: I was probably drunk at a club, and that was probably the first time I thought it was cool. I was like drunk at a club. It was probably like some older queer hmm. um, that I saw like in a leather jacket. I was just like, oh, okay. I like it. I could see the allure of it. Granted, I had been drinking, so everything seemed much cooler. Um, it's kind of like the effect of like food tastes really good when you, you're intoxicated. I think smoking looks way cooler. But as an asthmatic trying to smoke for the first time was like the worst thing in the world.
0: I think it's always someone you fancy. It's always someone you think is like really kind of cool and attractive and they're just kind of playing around and like smoking was like, oh. The thing is though, I don't, I've never seen someone smoke or like do a jewel and be like, oh, that's an attractive person.
1: Oh, right. Yeah. I will say like now in, now as a 30 year old, i see um people smoke and i'm like like smoke a jewel or something like some electronic cigarette and i'm like okay that's like the most uncool thing i've ever seen Is that because it's like you see all these young people doing it like 17 18 year olds and it's just like okay yeah no no thank you
0: kind of how there's a resistance to tiktok like there's an aesthetic thing where as you get to a certain point your vision of what cool is kind of more fixed and you can't really relate to someone like oh that's a really cool person smoking an ipod which i feel old for saying an ipod but
1: i've been sold on counterculture like i'm a hipster and the i think like counterculture shit is really cool yeah. thus anything that's in mainstream i will find uncool <laughs> <laughs> or anything that's like marketed clearly towards young folks is like uncool um I've also, like, become more in uh, – I hate it because I feel like white people have colonized health. So I can never talk about health because it – like, I feel like such a white like, – as a white Latina, right? I feel like it, I'm talking about some, like, crunchy, hippy-dippy thing. But as a person who has lots of chronic ailments, <laughs> I care a lot about my health. So, like, a lot of the stuff I just don't prescribe to because I'm like, no, it's going to fuck with my body. It's being sold to me to screw up my body. Doesn't mean I don't indulge in particular things, no. But it doesn't mean that like I look at things through a lens of like, no, that's like totally capitalism trying to sell me on a thing that's actually bad for me. So am I gonna buy into that? No. Why would I?
0: There is like a path where a lot of solutions that are kind of presented to you, like you recognize the impacts they have on your body and how they relate. Cigarettes being like completely awful for your body to particular foods being really sensitive to to weird diet culture that's kind of sold to everyone basically like hey you want to get healthy just cut out all carbohydrates and fats
1: oh my gosh
0: you understand the scam the scam becomes much more important as you're like longer in the game anytime there's a politician like i am skeptical of them as a politician and as a figure because I've already basically been through the path of falling for the idea that uh, electoral politics and specifically federal electoral politics mm-hmm. has a substantial pathway to liberation. That is something that I, I've learned from, and I think that's what folks go through in this process of we have to figure out your own health.
1: Yeah, well, it's going back to like that article where it's essentially saying, how do we destigmatize the stigma for queer people around tobacco use, right? Because we're a stigmatized population. Mm-hmm. Our stigmatized community and the like you've stigmatized tobacco use in such a way that actually just pushes us further out so like and and same with health right especially in our like radical queer circles we try to talk about um body positivity and all these things to try to be less ableist more accepting but i think within the same time we have to have a strong conversation about like but also capitalism is out there and it is trying to attack us So we can't, we can't also let that harm our bodies. Like we need to have a health centric sort of conversation, but it's also like, there is no standard for health. Health is again, it's your own personal standard. Like what makes you happy? What makes you feel better? So let's have that conversation. Let's deconstruct health for ourselves. Let's deconstruct what the world's actually trying to do to us. Cause like they make money off of the harm they inflict upon us.
0: What are like questions that really kind of push past consumerism and these kind of for metrics that pursue this very rigid sense of health.
1: I think a lot of it is tied to, like your physical health is so tied to your mental health, right? So I think one of them is looking at like, how are you feeling? Like how much energy do you have? Do you feel tired all the time? Like, do you feel yourself and do you feel normal? Like, are you able to get out of bed? The tasks you need to do during the day, like are you able to accomplish them, right? There are folks who like, for example, are, they're fat, they're, um, they have thick thighs, they have large butts, like, you know, like our bodies come in all shapes and sizes. Right. Mm-hmm. And there is this reclaiming of the word fat that is like wonderful and it's positive And it's because, you know, our bodies just look so different depending on where we're from, um, our race or ethnicity, like all of that. Right. And they're, like, for example, there they're women who are super fit, they do yoga, and they're criticized because they say, like, I see this fat woman, like, oh, she can't possibly do that. But, like, healthy for her is she's able to do all these things. She has this energy to do that. And, like, that is what healthy looks like for her. And she is judged simply because of what she looks like on the outside. And so I think that it goes back to that conversation where it's like, well, how do you feel internally? Because I think your health is going to predicate, like, how do you feel? Um, Your body is one thing, but it's only a small indicator of what health looks like to the mainstream. It's not an indicator of what, like, health looks like to you. And so I think if we redirect that conversation about, like, how do you feel getting out of bed today? Do you have that energy? Do you have to be able to do X, Y, and Z? Um, kind of like that whole, like being stronger, right? The conversation, not losing weight or anything, but it's being able to maximize strength. I want to be able to do a pull-up or something like that. I think that looks different for everyone. And I think that a lot of self-care around health has been, again, monopolized by this heteronormative sort of cis and white community. That's what their ideas of health are. It's I'm going to be tone and fit and in shape and have these bulging muscles that's not what health looks like to us at all.
0: I think I definitely to have a conversation one day about yoga. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. Like yoga is something that's super big in our communities, whether you're queer or a queer person of color, like yoga's in, <laughs> I've never done goat yoga though.
0: Yeah, yoga's, yoga's in. Um, <laughs> also I, I know there's definitely roots in terms of colonization in terms of like how that's. Taken.
1: Exactly. There's like so much to impact in all these things and like, <laughs> like everything's kind of shitty in one shape or form
0: I, I i love it i love it i did have like a friend recently who's a yoga instructor told me it's kind of the opiate of the masses we're like oh
1: damn okay that's oh man yeah
0: but i love me some yoga <laughs>
1: yeah no It again it like it it stimulates your body it yeah. stimulates your mind it releases endorphins it's like why not do it If it makes you feel better, that's, again, what I'm talking about. It's not about your body shape or this or that. Um, I think even, like, food, the conversations we have around food, right, decolonizing your diet, if you've ever looked into, like, literature on that, it's, like, super big. I was like, Coke made a killing in what they did to, to Latin America, for example. Coke has made so much money in poisoning Mexico. Yeah. So has yeah. McDonald's. Like a house. like and I'm not saying it's like you're a terrible human and you're a shitty person of color if you drink Coke or if you eat McDonald's cuz I definitely love me a McChicken, but <laughs> I think we really need to think about how these structures and these systems were built off of hurting us. Yeah. Like that's like you like you need to think about that. Like they make money off of damaging your body. So to love yourself, did like that radical notion of loving yourself is also protecting yourself.
0: Products are kind of removed from historical context, basically. Mm-hmm. Kind of how like everything about your Coca Cola you order from like McDonald's is historically erased, and you just kind of see it as the product, and you're just paying this product. But it's so tied to kind of like the environment, the history, the labor, the packaging, everything, and it just kind of gets erased away. But yeah,
1: uh that yeah we can get into so many tangents about how all of this is bad
0: (laughs) i think we've been talking for an hour and stuff is is there anything you want to leave us off with is there a project you're working on is there something you want to promote uh is there a, a taco spot that you want to let us know exists because i feel like we talk a lot offline in terms of tacos
1: we do. I gosh, because of COVID, I haven't really been getting out and going to um, to any taco spots. Uh, there is a book that I've been meaning to read, which I should have had it handy on me so I could have shown you that I think is really great. Um, it's on asexuality by Angela Chen. Ace. Yes, yes. I'm gonna do. We're gonna do like a book club between me, and my partner, and like a few other folks. Um and so that's like something that I feel like often gets neglected in the queer community. So I definitely want to plug that book. It was written um by the friend of one of my good friends. Uh so yeah. So like something new to learn about, right? Yeah.
0: All right. Check out Ace by the author's name again.
1: Angela Chen.
0: Uh, Angela Chen. All right. Check out Ace by Angela Chen. Well, thank you Debbie. It's lovely talking with you and hopefully um well, we don't know when this ends, but like, I definitely will like, like to like socially distance and talk about tacos soon.
1: Yeah, and beer.
0: Beer, 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 beer. Anyway, consumerism, it's kind of what we have to deal with. We live in the space.
1: Awesome. All right, well, thanks for having me.
0: It was a great conversation between myself and Debbie. Um, We covered a lot of ground and we hope to have similar depth of conversation where we can talk about local issues, our lives. And we're gonna be doing these pretty regularly, once a month, hopefully. And if you want to know more about our program, you can reach us at uh, proud2befree. To be free is like just to and be we be cute follow us on instagram facebook i um, proud to be free um we're really thankful for your time and space that you've allowed us in your lives and we just hope folks are safe out there
1: talk to you soon